Hello and Happy New Year from the PDXB Podcast, a weekly culture show that keeps a finger on the pulse of all things Portland. I'm your host, Amado Lumba, and I'm excited to give you this very first episode for 2015. My friends Jennifer Heigl from Daily Blender and mixologist Nick Keene join me this week with news from the food and drink world. And believe me, there's a lot going on. But first, here's comedian Timothy Blackton with a recap of recent events. A word of warning to parents, contents of this episode contain mild adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Timothy Blackton, and in case you missed it, it's 2015. Welcome to it, folks. This is the year that Back to the Future predicted absolutely nothing for us. Except for tennis shoes. Thank you, Nike. Uh, I'm sure Portlanders in your traditional uh, New Year's Day celebration consisted of heavy brunching. I think that would be very appropriate, very laid back, very kicked back. Uh, unfortunately, in the news, uh, 2015 has started off a little crazier, a little more insane than we would like. I'll first just acknowledge a couple of things that are happening globally and regionally. First off, Cartoonists are getting murdered in Paris. Comics are getting their heads bashed in with baseball bats at stand-up mics in Seattle. Craziness abounds. And Portland, Portland, you're, you're just trying your best to remain sane as best you can in your very beautiful, pretentious little way. Portlanders are getting upset. Portlanders are getting upset about the streets. There's potholes in the streets. Well, you know something? Portland has turned into a big city, and it's having big city problems. Things that nobody ever expected. Things like the highways being crowded. Things like buildings expanding, taking over more space in inner southeast. Suddenly, there's just a glut of all these really expensive studio apartments. And guess what, folks? There ain't no jobs here. There's no jobs to house all those people and pay for their studio apartments. It's just not there. Portland is a little big city. It used to be just a really big town, and now it's just a little big city. And it's having issues. It's crowded. There's just a lot of people here. I have lived here the better part of my 45 years on this planet, and I have seen this town change, and I've seen it develop, and I've seen it turn into something I, I don't understand, okay? I'm a simple guy. I got simple needs, all right? I don't own a bicycle. I don't garden. I drive an SUV because it's paid off. I'm not going to do cash for clunkers and make payments on a battery. I'm just not going to do that. And now all these people here in Portland with their issues and their ideas and what's important to them, it is not important to me. So I want to have a bumper sticker on my SUV that says nobody likes a judgmental hippie. See? That's how it is, Portland. Portland, you got to get tough. You got to man up. You got to start paying taxes to get your roads fixed. We can't have these bicyclists pissed off that there's a bump in the road and they're going to sue the city. Jesus, people. I mean, really? There's a bump in the road that you can't avoid and you're going to sue the city. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. And you know, Portland's charming. It's wonderful. Portlandia, very successful show, show I've been on, has opened the doors of the show how wonderful and beautiful Portland can be. But the truth is, 
they gotta close those doors. We can't let anybody else in here. Portland, we're full. No more people. That's it. I don't care if we're building housing for you. Have it go dark. Make it for the homeless. That's what they should do. They should make some of this housing for the homeless. You've got the homeless barging in and breaking into wherever they can to sleep at night because it's cold. It's really cold. Portland, do the right thing. Make your housing for the homeless. I've been Timothy Blackton, and that's been In Case You Missed It. You can follow Timothy on Twitter. His handle is at RevTimmyB. Twenty fourteen brought on the demise of dozens of restaurants in our fair city. Many of them were complete surprises and heartbreaking to yours truly, such as Wildwood in Northwest Portland, Genoa, Protus Row and Esparza's in Southeast, and Downtown's Red Coach and Hunan Restaurant. It was also the year of Barmageddon, as the Oregonian may have coined it, which saw a slew of watering holes close up shop, most of which were previously considered mainstays like the Hollywood District's Pal Shanty, West Burnside's The Matador, and Northwest Portland's Slabtown. So it's refreshing to start the year off in the Portland food and drink world by discussing the restaurants and bars that are opening this year. I recently chatted about this with my bander buddies Jennifer Heigl from Daily Blender and mixologist Nick Keene. How you guys been? We're good. Good. Welcome, welcome to 2015. Got a lot of stuff going on food and beverage-wise in the city? Lots of stuff. You know, there's uh, just a ton of restaurants that are opening up. It's interesting. I mean, this is really kind of the, the low season, the quiet season, January, December, February, uh, out of order. Um, but, you know, just kind of that, that time when you're sitting there thinking about kind of what you want to do for the rest of the year, and uh, a lot of restaurants are kind of ramping up. Uh, it's interesting to see the opening dates of, of things. Uh, so, yeah, lots of stuff happening in Portland. Sweet. Let's talk about them. Sweet. So uh, I definitely want to start off with this chef's stable opening uh, that's going to be massive. Tell me about it, Nick. Come on. Well, I mean, so they're talking about the biggest they, – they did throw the clause in of biggest – beer hall serving only Oregon beers in the world. And you think that's a bad idea? I think it boils down to um, trying to aggregate what's available within a mile of where they're opening all into one location. Like, that's what people see. Like, all of the choices all in one place. And I don't really see that in Portland. I think think Portland likes to go to the place where it's made and experience that Mm -hmm. beer. And then Maybe go over here for one, and then go over there for one. Kind of like the wineries. It, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so I, I hope I hope it works. Uh, I, I like the idea of a giant beer hall. I think it's a huge venue for Portland. Portland doesn't have the population to really support a place that size, I, I'm, I'm wondering about, for sure. So is there more of a tourist uh, thing in mind there, perhaps? Perhaps. That's oh, a, it that's could a, be. Good that's a good aspect. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, that only works for six months out of the year, tops. Great. And, you know, there's not tons of tour Like, the tourism pe- season peaks here in, like, the summer. And, like, you know, obviously, that's the that's the peak of the restaurant business as well. Well, and, and this seems to kind of lend more to, to Cooper's Hall, which is another chef's stable adventure where it seems more... It's even noted, uh, you know, here in the Oregonian that it's more of an event space. You know, it... I think that's probably more of the pull as well. I mean, offering the beers, but 
but having that event space that they can rent out largely. Amato, you and I were talking about the, the catering aspect of Chef's Stable Correct. that they've implemented. Um, it, it seems like Huffman is really thinking more in kind of the, the bigger picture across the board. Uh, so it'll be interesting to just kind of see how, you know what kind of people it draws in. And when is that supposed to uh, to open up? Let's see. Nick, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Before yeah, I, I mean to touch on one thing. If you see them angling more towards events and and private event space, it's because it's the most prof- profitable aspect of any business that has the capability of doing that. The the, the prices people pay to hold a private event in a place that can cater the food and do all the service and everything are about double. Right. They're double the profit margin of what the day-to-day restaurant operations are. Easily. So, you know, if you get a buyout for a place, you know, the size of this beer hall that's going to open, you know, Nike comes in and buys the place out for an event and they spend a hundred grand for the night, you've just made a month's worth. Easily. Right. Well, and like I said, I think that's what he's looking at in the in the bigger term. Right. It's it's less work. I mean, it's less uh, management work. It's easier. It's it's more secured money because you know it, you know this is coming in. They've got a deposit. They're coming. They're gonna make money. You don't know who's coming in tomorrow to sit at the bar. It's just it's a, an anomaly basically, and it's you're at the you're at the whim of the weather and what day it is and what time of year it is and all that stuff in the in the normal business, but. You know, if you can book, if you can mo- open an event space, you know, it, you're, you're booking stuff out. It's regimented and you know what's coming in. Right, right. And it's also doubly as profitable as a busy restaurant all night. Absolutely. So it definitely seems like he's doing this. Uh, Amato, to answer your question, it looks like, uh, according to the Oregonian, the Loyal Legion, which will be the official uh, name, uh, is ready to launch in April. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Nice. Uh, yeah, 7,000 square foot event space. So it, it'll be interesting. I think from a local local draw, there's going to be the novelty of it. For, you know, But I think it's going to uh, rely a lot more on the touristy aspect. I agree. poster child for people thinking that America, this is a very uh, American centric view, that think anything that's not French or Italian can't be fine dining. So it's the ethnic food conundrum. And it's it's bordering on racist, really. Like, I'll, I'll just be honest. Agreed. To think that like Vietnamese food can't be gussied up and there's not like excellent high-end Michelin starred chefs that can cook you $35 Vietnamese entrees or Mexican entrees or Laotian or Filipino. Like, it's, it's, it's really myopic um, to think that food that you normally, yeah, it's street food. But there's also other aspects of these cuisines that are more formal and fine dining and Getting back to the Mexican food aspect, we really need the high-end Mexican food that 
Yeah, it's a hundred bucks for two people to eat dinner. And you know, if anybody's listening outside of Portland in a major city, you're gonna laugh at that because that's cheap. But in Portland, that's high end. Right. So, um, it, to to get it to the next level, to have that, we had that before, like the economic malaise of 2007, 2008. There were two restaurants. Def. Um, Def. Well. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, Taco Nueve. Yep. They're sister restaurants, and they're kind of like knowing the history. Like one brought the other one down, and like the whole empire kind of collapsed. But they were excellent food yeah. all around. Um, Taco Nueve recently reopened. Yep. Um, in the old Beacon Flash spot. Haven't been yet. Heard reports. It's fantastic. Um, you know, but we need that that aspect of these individual cuisines to specifically Mexican to keep people from thinking that more than $1.50 for a taco is a ripoff. Correct. It's not like it's they're not you know it's, it's different. It's you can make Mexican food $30 plate entrees and it's you're going to feel totally uh, you got your value. And this is why not to prattle on too long but um, like when Mextiza closed up in up on uh, uh, up in northeast or north excuse me um, I was sad because you know uh, Oswaldo was n- nailing it like just out of the park and nobody went right I mean location was bad maybe a little bit like who knows like neighborhoods not super affluent they were charging some money but um Yes, somebody needs to take Mexican food and make it okay to be expensive and fine dining. So let me ask you this. So Montevilla is an up-and-coming. I mean, still for the last couple of years, it's still considered an up-and-coming neighborhood. What makes it... Do you think it, do you think the neighborhood will support um, whatever this new... I'm sorry, what is the new name? Oh, it's called Belena. Uh, and it's actually... Uh, they're going after the space because it's more of a commissary kitchen. Uh, okay. To support their catering side business. Uh, it, it says that it's going to be a lounge and a restaurant, so it'll actually be interesting to see whether or not they actually hit the high end. I mean, I know Kakad is, is high end. And but the reason I'm so asking maybe about they this, are aiming that high here. The reason yeah. I'm asking is because you know how Portland and the pervasive hipster uh, mentality here in Portland—it's all about the one dollar and fifty, the dollar fifty tacos, and and the bargains that they can get left and right from the from the taco trucks. It, it'll be interesting to see what kind of draw Belena. Balena will have um, in the Montevilla area that is an up and coming, and that's where a lot of a lot more of the non hipsters are are going to. It's like it's 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 almost a destination now. You know, it'll be interesting. Uh, and of course, we have the whole Willamette Week list of, of all the restaurants that are opening up. A couple of these that were really interesting. The Ham Bar. We got to talk about the Ham Bar. Ham. Uh, Ryan McGarrian and, and Kathy Wims and Kurt Hoffman. Again, another chef stable establishment uh, focused on ham. I'm I'm just I don't I don't know if I can be sold on this. <laughs> I mean, I know people love their it's, ham. And all. It's the bestest of the uh, of the hooved animals. How do you how do you it's the hate ham? Of the how do you hate ham? Like that's just like I don't hate ham. But we can't be friends if you don't like ham. But to build a restaurant based on you know this this focus, Spanish ham, Southern ham, Italian ham, Midwestern so ham. So here's the thing. All kinds of ham. So here's why on paper I think it works. It's 
basically a tapas bar, but they're showcasing all the hams from around the world because every culture has a ham. Oh, I mean, ham. it really does. Like every culture has a dumpling, every culture has ham too. They all have cured pork, butt basically, well, not butt, excuse me, shank. Like it's ham. Every culture, and it's all, they're all different. And like to be able to, like, I love the idea on paper of having like a board of like a bunch of different like tastes of these different hams. Different cures, different flavors, kind of different cuts, different, the way they prepared them, like all this different cool shit. Okay. That's all cool to me. Okay. Uh, is it novelty factor? Do I want to go? <laughs> do I want to go twice a week? No. Um, that's the problem, I guess. I see with it. Uh, also, you know, I think that, like, where they're talking about opening is basically sandwiched between, is like in the nightlife district. Um, it's next to a martini bar that has 40, I'm doing air quotes right here, you can't hear them. Maybe if I do it hard <laughs> enough, you can, but <laughs> martinis, it, the people that go to drink a list of 43 different martinis are not going to be the uh, are not the spillover clientele, clientele sure. that want to eat, you know, artisanal ham sure. and sherry cocktails. Right. This is a, it's, like it's a destination spot now for these people, and these people generally are of young, semi-affluent, probably live on the east side. This place is in the dead part of the pearl. Um, but these are shit. also the same people who would pay twelve dollars for a burger without any fries. It's the same damn people. So, oh, absolutely. Okay. So, I, so I feel like they will thrive in, in in its location. But you're right. I'm worried about the novelty of it. Yes. And, you know, and, and then like, I don't know how you pair ham with cocktails. That, that's what my next question was going to be. What kind of cocktails are? Are we rimming the glass in like frozen ham? like ham leavens or? I mean, I don't know what we're doing here. Lots of ham. I mean, I get how I, I sherry port. You know, fortified wine. Whiskey. Things pair with wine. I just... <laughs> I think it might be over-conceptualized. Correct. I, I concur. And, and, of course, right off the um, right off the tail of the closing of Easy Company, which was not a pretty closing. It kind uh, of seems like spitballing at this point. I agree. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how, how that goes. Uh, I, I The next discussion preem uh nick you're a big fan of it but of course uh willamette week mentions otter's sausage fest so much sausage in this town not that i'm complaining I was gonna, you beat me to it. <laughs> that's the first time jennifer Hagel's ever complained about sausage Shush! so uh preem you went on and on about it uh, fantastic guys um knocking it out of the park like wood-fired pizza you know uh, another chef's table we mentioned that briefly. Uh, yeah. Chef stable. It, it, it's noted a little help with chef stable. So. I mean, to touch on cream, like I, I really look forward. Like the pizzas I had were awesome. I look forward to them getting in a spot and like really hammering out things. I mean, it's different working in a spot one or two days a week for a one night a week event and trying to perfect what you're doing over time and like. I went early and I went very late and I saw the progression and I and I just know that the amount of time they were at Ned Ludd was is basically like two weeks worth of R and D at your own spot where you're just cranking all the time and like figuring this stuff out. Sure. Um, you know, it's the difference between like having a working bar 
fully stocked and you can make 20 iterations of a cocktail in a half an hour and taste them all versus being at home with no equipment and it takes you days and days and days to work on stuff. I, so I think their, their growth and maturation process is going to go leaps and bounds with their own space so they don't have to share with anybody. And if they get to a point where they get beyond what the last slice of pizza I had from them, I mean, we're going to be, we're, we're talking about them in the Ken's of Pizza mm. level. Yeah. Different styles. Um, but more I, pizza in this town? I don't know if this town really needs more pizza places. Pizza in this town is much like burgers. Uh, and in as much that you can, you can describe the number of pizzas and burgers that Portlanders will eat on a daily basis as N plus one, N being the number of pizzas and burgers they've eaten so far. It's insatiable. They will always... all. Did you see what the Mercury's Burger Week did to this town two years in a row? <laughs> Burger's Pizza, it's a, it's a, it's a fucking blue-collar town. So, you know, it, as much as as much as this hipster stuff, everyone still wants the gratuitous burger, slice of pizza. It's what everyone craves, and so you can't, you almost cannot go wrong opening a burger or pizza joint. Like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash thepdxbeat. Find us on Twitter as at thepdxbeat. Email us at thepdxbeat at gmail.com. And check out our website at www.thepdxbeat.com. Revolution Hall, uh, which sounds like a competition to uh, Kennedy School, which I'm kind of curious about. 850-seat theater, two different bars, a big old outdoor patio, quoting the Willamette Week, uh, rooftop deck, and a little sandwich shop. It sounds really more like a concert hall sort of thing. Well, it is at an old decommissioned high school. Southeast 14 PS. That's exactly what it sounds like. But interesting nonetheless. Uh, up next, Baroska food cart going to brick and mortar. Uh, always interesting to watch the carts go to brick and mortar. Uh, Nung's coming, guys. He's done a great job. Yeah, Koi Fusion uh, recently with the D Street Village, True, of course. Yeah. I feel like to do that, you need to have spent... You need to get a bigger following, more of a cult following than Baroska has. I mean, I'm kind of in this industry, and like I'm only hearing about it because they're going to brick and mortar. So... I hope, you know, I wish them all the luck, but, like, I think to make that transition, you need, like, the hardcore devotees and social media presence and all that, and I, I just haven't seen it from them. So, you know, and I personally, have, I, I unfortunately have not had an opportunity, I'm not sure if they're still open, but I have not had the opportunity to visit them on 28th and Burnside there at their food cart, but I've heard good stuff from people who are um, maybe the devotees, and... Uh, from what I heard from one of those people is that they feel like the Baraska people feel like they have not been able to really fulfill their potential because it's the food cart is very the truck itself is very limiting that they feel like the brick and mortar will allow them to to uh, to expand a lot more. Oh sure. Well, and I think it's really interesting that 
we're at this point in the restaurant industry, and especially in Portland, where people have the opportunity to kind of try out their restaurants yep. in a cart sense before they go to brick and mortar, as opposed to back in the day when you just had to put all of your money into a brick and mortar and, and hope that it worked out well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think that if, if a cart is doing really well enough that they decide to go to brick and mortar, there's probably a pretty good chance that they're going to succeed. So, yeah. it'll be I wish them well. Yeah. Uh, really excited about the next one. I know you are as well, guys. Uh, the Purrington's Cat Lounge. Oh, Portland, keep it real. I had just read about a, a bar a, or a restaurant opening up in New York that was all cat focused. So, uh, this does not surprise me in the least, especially after that that woman that's giving out hugs, which is also really <laughs> a very Portland thing. Uh, I, I love the description of Willamette Week, a goddamn cat cafe. And there's really nothing else you can say after that. Oh, there's a lot you can say after that. <laughs> there will be a petting lounge for lonely or the overly affectionate. Oh, Nick, you'll have somewhere to go. <laughs> Meow, look here. <laughs> if you go to a cat lounge and the purpose is because you're lonely. <laughs> What? <laughs> um, the next one, another pizza place, uh, but from Bunk Sandwiches. More pizza. Tommy, right? From Bunk Sandwiches, Tommy Hevitz and uh, Water Avenue Coffee's Brandon Smith. Yes. Uh, you said that Portland never gets tired of pizza. And you know what? They don't get tired of bad or oh. really good pizza. <laughs> I, I meant to say... There's a lot of bad pizza here. There is, and and there and there's bad pizza that's super popular. Right. So let's just keep adding to the good pizza and like sizzle pie. What? Yeah. Slowly, like transition over to the really good pizza. You know, Tommy had a good week where he was in New Haven and New York and a couple other hotbeds of, of 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 pizza styles and like. His his Twitter and Instagram feed were just this ridiculous everyday thing of like so many slices of pizza. And anybody willing to go and subject themselves to eating <laughs> 75 pizzas in a week to do research to open a place makes me know that like at least he's, he's got the passion behind it. You know this what I mean? Is, this is Tommy from, he, he from, believes, from Bunk He believes in what he wants to do here with this, with this idea. Like, I'm in. I'm in just because of his, his sheer force of character. Sure. In, in a manner. Sure. So uh, Southeast 20th and Powell. So, and, and that'll be interesting. It says winter 2015. So I mean, we'll if you give me six places in Portland that are spectacular pizza, I'm a happy camper, man. I, I think it's more than, it's more like three, but go I'm, ahead. I'm, yeah, I'm tired of two or three. Yeah. I want six or seven. And so that, it forces the mediocre to really super bad stuff out. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping like the really the garbage, the good to mediocre pushes down to the that level, and then the good gets on top, and like, and it just keeps as everyone's got to compete and piling on, and pretty soon you don't really notice the upgrade, but you look back and go, oh my God, Hot Lips isn't in business anymore. Thank the Lord. Right. That stuff was terrible. So they just keep bringing that out. Um, really briefly, Renata, uh, Southeast 7th, and site of a former di- uh, dairy, Project Grace pop-up owners Nick and Sandra Arnrich, and Matthew Ziegler of San Francisco's Flower and Water in Salumeria. 
Three thousand square foot restaurant playing with wood fired dishes. I wonder if there's going to be more pizza uh, and pasta and Mediterranean Italian fare. That sounds good. I, I might be down with that. Hold fast dining. We got to talk about because uh, it's just been blowing it up. Uh, having the run, the dinners at. Kitchen, kitchen crew, crew, which we support wholeheartedly. So Michael we'll, Madigan doing great stuff over there. Will Preach, um, chef at uh, uh, Ben Brick for a while, um, doing probably some of the most inventive, well-prepared dishes, pairings, all of that, all across the board. Um, the dude can't fail, I don't think. Like He's got s- such a following, and his food is so, so good. Um, and seriously, six-course meals for 65 bucks. But that was, it's a you good know, deal. So that was at Kitchen Crew. Okay. And, you know, um, you know, Kitchen Crew being a primarily a commissary kitchen, but also uh, Michael Madigan, the owner, um, Jeff McCarthy, the kitchen manager, they really work together as a team and kind of foster... It's an incubator. It's an idea incubator. It, it's everyone there is working together, and and it's a chance to like really uh, get it, get in the nuts and bolts of what food is, deconstruct it, put it back together a couple of times, and then you realize like these pieces are interchangeable and like everyone's bouncing ideas off each other. It's it's very much a think tank of food. Right. Um, and but is, let, it, but and, is and, it too eclectic to be a, a full-blown restaurant? I mean, absolutely I, I know not. the Hold Fast Dining, well, but that's my concern. Hold Fast Dining, all of the meals have sold out at, at Kitchen Crew, but but is it enough to make it a, a full-time, full restaurant? What I'm interested, what I'm, I'm what I'm excited about is its location. It's the Central East Side, uh, I guess that's what they're calling it, you know, the anything between Belmont and Burnside. And between MLK and Seventh, right? So that's kind of it's called. Can, can I ask why you're so excited about where it's at versus just, what, it, what they do? Uh, I'm excited about where it's at because it's an, it's it's one of those places that um, it's dying for something to happen. I mean, we've got stuff that came in there recently, like last like Kochka came in there, mm-hmm. uh, and then the new Voice Box and um, and oh, you and your karaoke <laughs> and, and uh, oh, I'm forgetting the one that's right next to. Um, but but that area right there has been has been uh, dying for activity. So I, I'm interested to find out what that what that neighborhood will will come up to from a culinary standpoint. Sure, sure. Okay, briefly gonna mention the the cheese <laughs> Steve Jones of Cheese Bar on Southwest Alder, 11th and Southwest Alder. That's uh, what do, what do we op- what, that's what, over by Multnomah Whiskey Library. And uh, what's the best cheesemonger I know opening? Uh, <laughs> cheese it's a cheese served bar. like sushi. I love it. Wait, cheese and sushi? Cheese served like sushi, not cheese and sushi. So uh, plenty of wine and beer and sake, according to the Lama Week. So it's cheese? it's the it's the it's the cheese version of the ham bar. Oh. Okay. And, anyway. And how do we feel about that? <laughs> I think it's pretty I'm, I'm just gonna punt on that one. It's, <laughs> It's pretty cheesy. cheesy. Uh, Smokehouse Tavern, Nick, you're all excited about that. Hells yes. Nice. Uh, 14th and Southeast Morrison, uh, former home of the Light Bar. And continuing the Smokehouse 21 greatness, uh, I have not been, but of course uh, you speak very highly. Best pastrami, or uh, excuse me, um, brisket. It's very pastrami-like, and it's, and it's, I always think of that. Uh, it's the best brisket in Portland. 
Um, you know, I know a lot of people like will take a big inhale and gasp at me for not saying that that's Padna's. It's not anymore. Um, you know, BJ at Smokehouse 21 has surpassed him by a magnitude, at least. Uh, it, it is insane. And uh, their sides, their beans, their their ribs, like, they... I, I normally don't like lamb ribs, but, like, they do them to a point where, like, they're enjoyable. Uh, you know... And then, and just and just taking it from a twenty seat hole in the wall with no bar to a real restaurant with a bar and bar seating and like real tavern barbecue feel is going to be awesome. What's the last one, Clutch? Uh, Ken Norris, man, I was just a diehard Ripple Northwest fan, so it's nice to see him pop back up. Uh, of course, I had the interview uh, yes. a few weeks ago with him. Uh, sausage, I don't know if I'm sold on eclectic You're sausage. You're totally sold on sausage. <laughs> totally sold. You're a diehard, lifelong sausage fan. Shush! Uh, but I'm excited to see what Ken Norris does. Uh, it's going to be out at the Timberland Town Center in Beaverton, as well as the Portland International Airport. Uh, so we'll see. It looks to be entertaining. Sure. I think yeah. it's a novel idea. Like, he's he's doing something like where he's taking complete items that from other cultures and encasing them in a sausage and serving them. I think it's a novel idea, but I don't necessarily agree with the location. I don't well, no, know that's See, that's where novel works. We have tons of new faces all the time. Sure. And they, like, who's going to come by this? How many times? You're not going to go to the strip mall very often. Maybe once a month or twice a month. And like, that's about how many times I want to eat a novel dish. Right. But he's going to have a flood of people. Okay. And so you open this place in the airport where you have hundreds of thousands of people. At a, at a busy strip mall in the Burbs where okay, you have hundreds okay. of thousands of people. So it's kind of the voodoo donuts of sausage, if you will. Let's hope not. Let's hope it's, <laughs> let's hope it's the blue star donuts of, okay. uh, of sausage. The uh, overly priced donuts of uh, sausage land. Nothing's overpriced if it's delicious. <laughs> that should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> And there you have it, uh, Amato. Uh, Nick and I have chimed in enough on the uh, food happenings here in Portland. As usual, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for being on the PDX Week. Thanks, Amato. Absolutely. Nick Keen is on Twitter at ConOat. And of course, you will also find Jen on Twitter at Jennifer Heigl and at Daily Blender. And her website is www.dailyblender.com. And that's our show this week. Our theme music is called Cataracts from local musician Sweet Nothing. Make sure to visit our website for show info and past episodes. Tune in next week when my buddy Rich Bruckner from InsideStartups.com returns to the show with an update on the local tech world. I'm Amado Lumba. Thanks for tuning in.